Maybe you saw this story this week. It's been out there. It was quite the tale, a real David and Goliath situation, a labor a labor victory that has been called nothing short of stunning, perhaps the most significant on the continent in many, many years. Amazon workers at a New York City warehouse made history by voting to form a union, a victory for a very little known independent union that didn't exist 18 months ago. This wasn't some big labor union. This was a little independent union set up for specifically this person. The Staten Island election marked the first time a group of U.S. workers have successfully voted to form a union in Amazon's 27-year history. Well, today Amazon filed an appeal calling for a do-over election in a filing Friday that lays out 25 objections that form the basis of its appeal in its filing to the National Labor Relations Board. Amazon alleges that the independent federal agency's regional office, which oversaw the election at its Staten Island facility, uh, quote, unfairly and inappropriately facilitated the victory. So we'll see what happens there. Still, the tactics used were different, um, very different, and that could have an impact on union drives across US, the US, and of course, here at home in Canada. With more, I'm joined by Barry Eidlin. He's a sociology professor at McGill University and author of Labor and the Class Idea in the US and Canada. Barry, thank you for your time. Happy to be here. I guess just your initial reaction, because I, I don't think a lot of people were, were following this particular uh, union drive closely. I, I know it had been talked about, but there are many different union drives going on across America that get some attention. What mm -hmm. was your reaction to the successful outcome of this one? Well, I think like everyone else, we were pretty shocked. I mean, everyone else, save of course, for the organizers themselves who uh, you know came in feeling confident. This was a shocking upset. Um, you know, they uh, it, it's the largest single um, Union election victory in the United States in probably 50 years, um, at least involving a new bargaining unit, right? So I think I was looking through the data and I think there, there was a victory in the late 70s where there was an independent union that then went with a, a more established union. But really, I think you have to go back to the 1960s to see something of the scale. And the thing that's shocking is that it's this independent union, right? So it's it's literally these people. I mean, they 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 weren't totally on their own. They did get some help from 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 uh, from some established unions and from some outside, you know, legal help, pro bono stuff like that. But really, an independent effort. Um, one of the largest union victories in decades. Um, you know, really against the one of the largest and most viciously anti-union employers so just on every level it's just this david and goliath story um and you know most and i think you know labor uh watchers or labor scholars like myself and others you know really you know doubted this frankly you know i doubted it. i'm i'm very happy to admit that i was completely wrong in this case but they really didn't abide by a lot of the sort of basic rules of organizing, right? Um, and it worked, right? So I mean, I, but, but, you know, I think a big one is that, you know, they, they filed for their election um, with only 30% uh, of, of workers in the facility having signed these representation cards, which, you know, usually uh, when you're uh, uh, going by the rules, you try to get a super majority of two thirds or more with the understanding that the employer is going to engage in this, you know, scorched earth campaign that's going to terrify the workforce and really drop support. 
And they were able to do the opposite. They were able to file for the election and then build support uh, toward the election. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting stuff going on about how they did that. So there's a lot to learn here is the big thing, but it, it was, it's a shocking victory. Um, and I think, uh, you know, could signal, I think that the, 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 the fact that they were able to win, obviously we have to give huge credit to them, but it also could be signaling that there's actually something broader going on in, in, in um, amongst U.S. workers more generally. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we've seen during, you know, over the course of the pandemic specifically is, is and especially in places like warehouses where there were certainly complaints about working conditions and so on, you feel like the conditions could now be ripe for some sort of reemergence of, of organized labor. And it's just interesting to see how it was done because it was clearly done differently um, in a good way. I mean, it might not work in every, in every single organization, but clearly the way they went about it actually succeeded. What do you think the keys to that success was knowing sort of the failures of past uh, union drives? Yeah. So the two things that I see as being critical to their victory, where I see uh, this is where they, I would say, didn't um, veer from the playbook. Um, number one, is and this probably is the most single most important thing is that it was so to speak an inside job they had a, they had organized organized union support inside the workplace and that's critically important because the key that employers do in these union 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 representation fights is what's called third-partying the union. That means that they portray the union as this third-party interloper that's interfering in the direct relationship that the employer has with their workers. And in this case, because it was, you know, this independent union made up of workers at the facility, that line just fell completely flat. Because even people who weren't supporters, um, you know, they would hear Amazon tell them of like, oh, there's this like, you know, dangerous, you know, creepy third party that's going to be like, you know, imposing on you, trying to sort of intercede on your behalf. And they would look around it's like, well, these are my coworkers. What? Like, that's not a third party. So number one, that's critical. And I think any organizer uh, if you talk to them, will stress the importance of, of having that inside organization. So that's number one. Number two is, uh, and this is maybe a bit more controversial, but I think it's, it's not coincidental that you had a small but significant group of committed left, left-wing sort of like political activists, essentially, who went into the warehouse for the purpose of organizing. Um, historically, uh, the US labor movement, um, and not just the US labor movement, the Canadian labor movement, um, and, and most other labor movements, um, have been built by the political left. So by socialists, by communists, um, anarchists, of, of, of whatever stripe. I mean, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, but any movement of the labor movement often it, it involves, but cannot be limited to 
sort of a core of, of left-wing organizers. And so we saw that um, with, with the Amazon labor union as well, because they're the people who have the organizational know-how, the dedication and the vision to go against the odds, to take on these big battles that might seem um, like lunacy to people who haven't really like given it some thought. And, you know, you need a bit of that sort of fearlessness and vision to take on these big battles against the odds. How, how much did Amazon fight back here? Yes. So Amazon, like I said earlier, is a viciously anti-union company. Um, they have a, a whole team, like an incident management team. I forget what the exact term is, but, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not unusual in this regard. I mean, U.S. employers in general are a pretty viciously anti-union bunch, um, historically speaking. And that has not changed over time that much. Um, I do think it's important to recognize here that the uh, that Amazon did agree last year to a, a an agreement that um, that where they would respect the workers' right to organize. This was sort of in the aftermath of what happened in the warehouse in Alabama a year ago, sort of like last March, um, and they were and they and they were found guilty of uh, undue unduly and illegally influencing the outcome of that previous election, which is why they had a revote um, at the warehouse uh, that j- just, just this past uh, a, a few weeks ago. Um, and as part of that, they agreed to uh, essentially, a, they agreed to essentially abide by the law, which basically meant that they allowed um, union organizers and union members, uh, supporters to organize on non-work time in non-work areas. So one key thing that the Amazon labor union did was set up shop in the break room and they would talk union uh, to Amazon workers who were on their breaks in the break room. And when Amazon managers tried to kick them out, they stood their ground and, um, and Amazon did back down from that, right? So they, they, they oftentimes um, like many employers uh, just go ahead and break the law because the penalties are such that it just pays to break the law. They're so minimal um, that, um, but in this case, they didn't. Speaking to Barry Eidlin, he's a sociology professor at McGill University, author of Labor and the Class Idea in the U.S. and Canada. We're talking about the surprisingly successful union drive that happened at an Amazon warehouse uh, in the New York City area recently. When we come back, I wanted to talk about what kind of impact this successful union drive could have on others, uh, including here in Canada, that are that are trying to take place at Amazon facilities. And we can talk about it more broadly as well. That's after this. I'm back with Barry Eidlin. He's a sociology professor at McGill University, author of Labor and the Class Idea in the U.S. and Canada. We're talking about a successful labor drive, union drive, at a Amazon warehouse facility in Staten Island in New York, uh, which has been called a David and Goliath battle, perhaps as uh, as Barry has referred to it as one of the most successful uh, union drives or most surprising union drives of the past half century. Um, given that, uh, Barry, do you think there will be any sort of impact more broadly, uh, for instance, here in Canada, where there has been attempts at least to organize at different Amazon facilities here? 
It certainly seems to be the case. Um, I think in the days following, um, following the Amazon victory, um, Amazon, I know that Amazon Labor Union, the, the organizers, Chris Smalls and others, have talked about how they've been flooded with calls from Amazon workers at other facilities, not just in the US, um, in other countries as well. Um, and then other organizers are also talking about a serious uptick in calls from workers who also want to organize. So, you know, that, and that, that, that is sort of uh, a common feature in labor history where there's a sort of contagion effect, um, you know, because, I mean, the, as the saying goes, nothing succeeds like success, right? Um, and I think more specifically, you mentioned uh, Canada, right? There was, a, there was a recent failed attempt outside of Edmonton um, at, a, at a warehouse that the Teamsters were, were, were trying, to, um, trying to take on. Um, and there, it goes back to that sort of organizing, that key organizing point that I made earlier, where what they were lacking was that inside presence. Um, and, so, so the, and so I think that you know, now, with the Amazon Labor Union uh, success in Staten Island, um, generating sort of more organic excitement amongst workers and other work sites that you might see more of that inside organization taking shape, which would certainly facilitate uh, the process. Now, what shape that's going to take is hard to, hard to know from the get-go. Um, it's going to require a lot of flexibility from existing unions who, um, you know, are used to doing things in a certain way. And what we've seen with the, the Staten Island victory is that sometimes you might need to play a bit fast and loose with the rules. Um, and, but it, it seems to be that that's, uh, that's going on. There was a meeting uh, a couple of ago with Chris Smalls and the new um, more reform-oriented president of the Teamsters Union, which is a major transportation union and warehouse union um, that's, that's been trying to organize, um, like I said, the, the one in Edmonton and elsewhere, and they've sort of established organizing Amazon as a priority um, to see if they, how they can work together. Um, I think that's a very promising development. Um, it's, it's, it's important that that not develop into a kind of turf battle um, and it should be important that the existing unions approach this as a learning opportunity, as well as an opportunity to sort of provide resources to other initiatives that might not directly benefit them in terms of members. Yeah. Um, so we're because, we're in because oftentimes, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of yeah. unions, major unions are as sclerotic as the companies they're trying to fight, right? They're as, as, as sort of mono, you know, there's, there are these giant monsters of, of organizations that are in, in fact so rigid that they probably never would have succeeded in or in, in, in unionizing the Staten Island warehouse, to be honest. Uh, so there maybe there is well, a they, lot they're of, used to, yeah, they're used to a certain way of doing things for sure. And that, yeah, that, and, and so that, so this kind of shakes things up. What's what's promising so far is that it seems like uh, the the existing unions are are perceiving this as an opportunity, not as a threat, and that's that's great that's because that's something that's been difficult in past uh, past years, where it's sort of pursued, perceived as a threat that they're trying to do things differently from us, and here it seems like it's being welcomed as like okay. This is this is something different. Let's give this a try. 
Just to flip the script very quickly, is it necessary mm-hmm. for for you, for workers to unionize at Amazon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that 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 you know, Amazon is uh, you know trying to rewrite the 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 rules of of employment in the world, um, you know, and really um, driving down wages and working standards um, across the board. And the only possible solution to that is uh, a strong union response, right? So I mean, I think that, you know, they, they tout their wages of, you know, $15, $18 an hour. Uh, but, you know, compared to other warehouses, like that's a lot if you're comparing it to working at McDonald's. It's not a lot if you're comparing it to working at other warehouses. They're driving down, down warehouse wages. Uh, their injury rates are double the industry averages. And it's not like warehouses in general are the safest places to work. Um, so the, the, the kind of regime that they're imposing in the workplace um, and establish not just not just at their warehouses, but sort of establish as a model employer, right? Um, that's what's important to understand here is the way that they set certain standards. And so I think that the only response that has to come from workers organizing to push back. And there is no fears because, of course, Amazon is, is in much in demand. These these uh, these centers, as they're called, are much in demand around the country. And they seem to many communities seem to open their arms to welcome them in, despite how much you know land they may take up or resources they may take up. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any fear that they'll simply take their business and move somewhere where they don't have to worry about about a union? Well, um, yes and no. So, um, I mean, I think that yes, in the sense that Amazon builds a lot of redundancy into its logistics network, such that if there are certain problems in certain places, they can just sort of route around the problem. Um, You've seen that in Europe, where um, Amazon workers in Germany have gone on strike, and Amazon has responded by routing volume through Poland, for example. Um, So to the extent that the organization stays um, limited, geographically limited, that will um, allow um, Amazon to sort of skirt around the issue. So it really needs to be a broader um, initiative. It needs to take root more broadly to deal with that problem. Barry Eidlin, thank you so much. This is certainly a story to follow. I appreciate your time. Great. Happy to do it.